Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, it's caucus time again, so let's call this meeting to order because it's just a month to election day, guys. Woohoo! I'm Tim Watkin. <laughs> I'm Julian Wilcox. I'm Lisa Owen. And I'm Guy Espiner. And what we want to talk about today is the trend, why it's looking the way it is, and really importantly, the shape of the next government. Um, what the trend is telling us the, you know, a government might look like, a bit of a deep dive into Action New Zealand first, how it connects with national... Um, and maybe a bit of prefu and indigeneity in there as well. So two poles. Is that a word? Indigeneity. Ah. It sure is. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm owning that. Um, two poles. Uh, nationals on 39 or 40%, which gives you this kind of vibe. Yeah! Which is kind of good, but it's evolutionary, not revolutionary, right? It's, you know, you're happy with that. Labour on 27 or 28%, maybe this kind of vibe. Pull up, hook. pull up. Oh, I thought, <laughs> no, was, no, no. I, I thought it was a warning that you were going to crash into something rather large. <laughs> no, no, that was the phone off the hook. But it was. A, it sounds like an American phone. Um, yeah, the people aren't quite listening to them at the moment. But then the main difference between the two poles is this. And this is not our first rodeo. So, yeah, the difference between the two poles was Winston, Peters and New Zealand first because uh, TVNZ, they had Winston, Peters and New Zealand first getting back into Parliament. News Hub had them missing out and not making it. Um, what do we think, guys? What is the state of the trend? Well, the one thing I would say is that in the News Hub poll, he's only a whisker away mm. from getting in. Yep. Winston Peters in New Zealand first on 4.6%. Yeah, right? you need to be versus, a whisker away, though. Yeah, versus the 5%. If, the, if that's where you think it stops. Yep. But it's all about the trend. And that's what we look at with all the parties and having two polls in close succession, albeit from different polling companies, they reflect a trend. Mm. Yeah, look, I, uh, you're absolutely right on New Zealand First. As much as it pains me to see this, given what Winston is doing and the politicisation of things, Māori in particular, which kills me, um, the strategy is working. And uh, whether he's there or not on TVNZ or News Hub, you know, 5% on one and 4 point whatever it is on the other, yeah, it looks like he's coming back. And that's going to make it interesting. I don't know. We'll talk about that. The other thing I think is, and I, I think these numbers are, are baked in. It feels to me like this is pretty much, we're going to be close to this um, towards the end of the election. It feels very much like how it was in 2008 to me. I think the technician's sound uh, alert was actually apt. It feels like people have just stopped picking up the phone on Labour. Yeah, why is that going? Because, and, and look, I've got to say, you know, people often don't like us saying, hey, we haven't voted yet, you know, don't tell us how we're going to vote, this hasn't been decided. What, what makes it feel baked in? Why are people hung up on Labour? I think that once you start seeing a party uh, having uh, a very 
outside chance only of of making it, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy and people start to write them off. And I think that that Labour is in that death spiral now. Once you get a two in front of it, you really are struggling to make it work. And then you have to add on all the different complicating parties. I'd probably need four of them to get over the line now. And And they're much harder if you're a second term you know, look, government looking for a third yep. term. If you're a follow-up prime minister like yep. Hipkins is, all yep. those there's things, all, right? There's, there's all that. Um, I mean, they really have had um, from pandemics to um, economic crises. They they really have had it all thrown at them, and a, and a change of leader. And um, they are looking like they're running out of time. Yeah. The other thing is that people look at these figures and some people get the frighteners on, right? So where some people might have been happy to vote for what was considered a minor party or split their vote, they might look at these things and not like the lay of the land and the potential, the potential that these figures indicate. And by that I mean, if you have a slight variation in the National Act vote, conceivably, if Winston Peters gets over 5%, he may be needed, which is why strategically Christopher Luxon is not calling... TOD on that just yet. Yes. So so the thing about that is some people might see Winston Peters 5% in this poll, 46 in that. They might decide to vote differently to ensure the type of government that they want. At the same time, others might think he's really close to the line now. My vote won't be wasted if I go that way. Yeah. So, so it I, gives you that confidence to say, oh, well, I'm going to indulge in yeah, Winston. So it, it could go... Either way, but I anticipate um, the variation to be in the National Act New Zealand first is the combination that I'll be looking at with most interest as some of the news organisations go to weekly polling, weekly polling, as we um, roll into these last few weeks of the campaign. And I think that's going to be interesting. And to pick up on um, Guyon's point about the death spiral in Labour, I want someone to tell me where these votes are going. Because when you look at it, say, let's look at the News Hub one, for example, down five and a half points. That's a big wodge, right? Down to 26.8%. You look at maybe their friends in a coalition, the Greens, they're only up 2.7. Mm-hmm. So those people are not just going to the Greens. Where are they well, going? This is the other reason well, why we look across at, to National and to New point. Zealand first. Mm. Yeah. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of people who have swapped their votes between Labour and National over the years. Um, tens of thousands of New Zealanders do, do that every, every it's election. The soft and, and, that's well, ag- soft and that's again why, why so many commentators are going, oh, this is really bad for Labour, because you're, you're, not, you're not just seeing things moving around within the left and right bloc. You are seeing movement from voters across that, that great divide. Right? Yeah. Which goes that's to your point about being baked in. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. The other thing I'd say is we started our Māori electorate debates and they're mainly between Labour and the Māori Party, right? The, the Labour messaging has changed. It's gone to turnout. They've started focusing on get out and vote as opposed to things like $2 billion fiscal holes, which traditionally wouldn't play to a Māori audience. Yes, they talk about finance administration and the like, but the fact they're now focused on just getting the base out to vote is a worrying sign, and it's something that changed quickly in the last yeah. week and a half. And the problem that, that Labour's looking at is interesting, and the problem that Labour's looking at with this is that is that they've got this, this what you're talking about, the baggage of the last few years. My my history point this week is, is Winston Churchill, right? And that 1945 election, thank you very much for winning the war, Mr Churchill. Now go away, landslide loss, mm. literally weeks after the VE Day. Um, the public's just, often after a big traumatic public event, the, the voters just go, 
I want a new face. I well, don't want to be reminded of all this. Well, that's right, because people, a lot of people even listening to this, and, and I know that you're especially attuned um, political audience, would consider this a three-term Labour government. I mean, if it is a two-term Labour government, it's the first two-term government since 1984. Mm. I mean, that was that Labour government was 84 to 90. And that was the one which blew everything up, right? Ever so, since, yeah. we've had three-term governments. Now, yeah. that's a long time. So this yeah. is quite rare. But I don't think that... But I can't even recall anyone making that point, which is an obvious point you, that anyone with a Google search engine can, can tell you. But I think it, that plays to my point that it feels like three terms. Well, it's the time vortex of... COVID yes. and dealing with the, the pandemic and all those other what I would consider national tragedies and crises during that time. Yeah. They just distort your perception of time and I think that is reflected in the mood of people who just want some sunshine and I use that as a, yeah. as a kind of metaphor. They just want some sunshine um, but then I think the other thing is that promises don't always happen immediately so it's going to be really interesting to see um, whether whoever is in government delivers quickly enough to satisfy voters' need for some light. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really good point, Lisa, and I think that Luxon is relying on that. Um, I think this idea that National drifting up to the late 30s, early 40s is probably their election strategy. Um, and I wonder whether ACT is over estimating the extent of change that people want you know do, do they seem to think that new zealanders are embracing some sort of um neoliberal revolution type times 3 or whatever it is um whereas i think your point is probably more accurate that they they want to change but how much change do they actually want yeah, yeah. it doesn't feel like a landslide election does it it feels like we've just had enough of this for now can you can we change our shoes and 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 put on a different pair of sneakers you the, know the, the, beach the blue cricket, they, they Talk about the beach cricket analogy in, in politics yeah. sometimes where, where it's someone else's turn to bat. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think the other thing is it feels like Hipkins is, is wedged because he can't really go too much more negative yeah. on Luxon uh, because Luxon looks like the guy now say for a couple of interviews, and I don't know, we'll talk about that. But in the general population, I mean, look at the preferred Prime Minister poll. Yeah. Now, you know, he's even, in fact, in one, he's one point ahead of Hipkins. Well, these two, he's, they're, they're torn. They're, yeah. they're drawn in both, tied yeah. up in both, um, which is really interesting. Both, sorry, tied in unpopular territory, which is, which is the interesting thing here. And being the nerds that we are, we were talking about it just before, um, that looking back, I was thinking, when was the last most unpopular preferred prime minister who actually got elected, right? And what were their ratings like? Because when you look at these two, they're on, what are they, 23%? I 23 think. 23 and 22 and 23%. And you think of the um, halcyon days of John Key, who was, um, what, up in 40s. the high, for- high 40s, yeah. not just 40s. Mm. And even Helen Clark, in the year that she lost, was in the mid-40s, right? So... Potentially, this where did, country is Where did about Helen Clark start, though? Nineteen percent. There you go. Yeah. That was 19%. the last. That was the last least popular. <laughs> and they used to call this two percent because she was at two percent in, in in opposition. That's yeah. Right. So so she was in recent history the the least popular polling preferred prime minister to be elected, and what we're seeing again is that regardless of who takes the reins the person who will be in the Prime Minister's seat has got very low ratings. But the, but the thing that I see in these polls is that is that Luxon, there are clearly 
as you say, it's low, the numbers are low around him, but he seems to have passed some kind of sniff test, right? He's, he's the mover in these preferred Prime Minister things. He's up a few percent. Um, and he seem, even though he's still neck and neck with Hipkins, there seems to be, the way the party vote's going as well, we're not going to love him, but we're going to, that was why we put the... Yeah, you're thinking they're going to be right. They're not going to love him. They're not going to embrace him, but he's all right. We talked about Hipkins' plan probably should try and turn this into a presidential kind of approach of a campaign because of the lack of trust in the way in which the audience was receiving and the voters were receiving Luxon at the time. At 23% each or 1% down on the other one, he can't do that. That moment's gone. So what do you do if you're Hipkins, right? You can only really focus on a $2 billion billion, a hole in your tax policy, yep. which is what they're doing at the moment. But he can't go too much more negative because, mm-hmm. as Lisa says, and I agree with her, people want sunshine. But it's interesting. Look, Guy, I know you wanted to play this clip because fascinating interview with Luxon on, on Q&A this weekend. Um, That's he, one way of he's, describing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he still sometimes does get exposed, right? Let's have a listen to this. Are you going to lower your rents, the properties that you rent out? Um, I, I, it's got not about me, Jack. No, but, no, you've, but, but you've, said, you've said that your yeah. settings are going to lead to I know, lower rents. You talk about my properties every no, time. No, it's a simple question. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's pretty simple. Reasonable, um, isn't it? I mean, you've got multiple investment properties. So well, will you be lowering your rents? What I'll be saying to you is that we are going to put downward pressure on rents by actually unwinding the Bright Line test from 10 to 2 years right. and unwinding interest deductibility and changing some of the tenancy laws. Okay, so, so will you be advice, lowering your rents? That is advice that the government um, put in place mm. to this government. Uh, you know, Treasury put into so, Let's again, you're not answering my question. So you, get, you say there's going to be downward pressure on rent. So, so will you be lowering your rent? Uh, it's not about me, Jack. I don't know. I haven't thought that through, and I'm not thinking that through. A couple of things I would say about that. It surprised me that he hadn't done the homework on that, or some of his advisors hadn't. Um, what's an obvious question that you're going to be asked? Um, well, what would you do with your own properties? So he should have had an answer to that. The other point I'd make is I actually thought, and this might be an outlying position, that Luxon did relatively well in that interview. I just think it was an it was a, it was an extremely good and sharp interview, um, possibly one of the better ones I've seen on television as a political interview um, in recent years, uh, and 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 very forensic. I, th- I thought Luxon struggled, um, including in, in in that area, um, but that he got a bit angry too, which I actually mm. thought was quite interesting. I thought it actually played relatively well for him. I- I'd like to see a bit more of that with him, where he actually, you know, just lets lets well, the management. Well, he changed colour a few times. You could see it sort of going from his neck upwards mm. as he was as the conversation was perhaps getting a bit more heated. When you say, you know, it was a forensic questioning of him. If you are selling that you are the competent managers of the economy, then you have to be forensic in the numbers that you present back, right? So there were some really obvious gaps in that interview. The one you point out about... um, when he was asked about his own rental properties. And then, obviously, the numbers that they have worked out their um, foreign buyers tax Yeah, which are still in trouble. Yeah. But when you go into a long-form interview and you know that you're going to be speaking to someone for 15 minutes, you can't just roll out those little sound bites and... But he did. Did um, you hear him trying there? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's simple. You it's pretty simple. Us. It's not about me, Jack. It's not about me. He goes back, and this is where he comes across as the first-term MP he, that he is, that he just has his he lines. He an advertising slogan. It drives me nuts. This this takes me back to the preferred Prime Minister stakes. And it comes down to a couple of things, I think. Ideally, voters would like someone who is competent, but they do like charisma too. So they'd like you to have competence and charisma. That would be the best case scenario. Um, 
and then they'd like you to at least have one of those things. <laughs> so, you know, um, when you look at what you've got here, those are the things that you can leverage, which brings back to what Julian is saying about Chris Hitkins is trying to pull the competence lever and saying they've got holes in their numbers. I am a competent manager of the numbers. Neither of them come across particularly charismatic. So I think no. in that case, it's a Helen Clark scenario. You have to be razor sharp in terms of knowing your own policy, knowing the figures, knowing the information. It's also, it's also one of the um, the downsides of success, right? Because who's talking about Labor's GST off uh, fruit and veggies policy, which also we couldn't find one economist mm. in uh, around the Motu who actually thought it was a good idea. Similar to the um, revenue from foreign buyers tax. You can't find an economist who thinks it's a good idea. There's all the focus is on national because this is likely to go ahead, whereas Labor's GST off fruit and veg really is is uh, likely to hit the, um, you know, is just is likely to be a press release that never happens, right? <laughs> yeah. Thro- throwing, out with the old, throwing out with the fruit and veg, yesterday's fruit and veg. Exactly, yeah. It comes up a lot in our Māori electric debates, actually, which is kind of interesting. The other thing about the communication style that Luxon has, though, to be honest with you, I wasn't surprised by the way in which he responded in the interview because that's his go-to. He's, he leans on these phrases that he's had and continues to roll out when he gets cornered or when he gets pushed. So thanks for the advice, Guy, and for him to get a little angry because that plays okay with people because I'm in interviewing him on Monday for the week, so I look forward <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah, wind him up. Um, um, but I think, I think people have kind of, oh, maybe people have just got used to him doing that because you would think ordinarily, as Lisa says, if you've got competence with a bit of charisma, that's great. If you lack a bit of competence, and he should be used to this by now and he still makes the same mistakes, and yet it doesn't seem to have impacted No, but that this is what this is the this. sniff test, right? He's passed the yeah, sniff yeah. test despite that somehow. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, and it's, I have to be honest and say it's been really hard to get excited about the election campaign because, you know, if you played some audio Not from our company his, every week? Well, yeah, that, that's just <laughs> got it over the line for me. But if you listen to a lot of the sound bites, as we call them in the media, if I close my eyes, I think any of other elections and campaigns, I could have heard those words coming out of either party's oh, mouth, look, right? No, so, so, yes. so nothing for me has been kind of like, whoa, hey, look at that, no, well, that's it, amazing, right? Finish so, your point, but I yeah, want to pick up on that. And, and I just think the one thing I am terribly excited about, and I'm not being sarky, is the live leaders' debates. And I think that that's going to be telling. Yeah. Do you think they could still move the dial, though? Maybe. I just Debates can move things. Either way, I'm interested to see people handling themselves um, live in a pressured situation. It's a different scenario, as Guyon would appreciate, with a live audience there. And you're getting these questions coming at you. Your opponent is right there. You're eyeball to eyeball. And you really have to bring it. Yeah, I think Labour will be counting on the leaders' debate. Uh, it's, it's just about all they've got left now. Yeah, they're, 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 they're very frightening, and that's just for the presenter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, with, with, with more than a million people watching. Uh, it was very fascinating to me to see Lux and uh, do the classic. And you see this before All Blacks tests or big netball games or whatever, don't you? Everyone's scrambling to be the underdog. What would he say that um, that Hipkins was the best debater in New Zealand and he, he couldn't even beat his wife sort of thing in, 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 a, his, debate. in a debate? Um, <laughs> So it was quite interesting to see him sort of lowering expectations. I just wanted to pick up the, um, if we can move on to bring ACT into the discussion, because cool. you talked about the, the sense that there's this familiarity, right, with yes. the, the policies. It really has struck me this week um, uh, that with National in particular, they want a party like it's 2009, right? It is, it is, there is nothing about the key years that they do not want to bring back and they don't want to, you know, and it's it's three strikes, it's charter schools, it's 
public sector targets. It is the same stuff. It is. It is just going back in time. I, I, well, that's brand struck. consistency. Isn't it's it's yeah. very yeah. much so. Yeah. And very much so. And, 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 and Labor's, yeah. Labor's the same. This is what, it's, it's a Labor versus capital argument. Mm. Basically, but it's the same it? yo-yo. It's this yo-yo policy thing. Often you get those, and you get certain elections where you get a new suite of policies, new ideas kind of filter through. This doesn't seem like that election, right? It seems like the same, you know, boot there's camps. A, there's this, a, there's we've heard a, it all before. Yeah, there's a lack of aspiration. What you want to hear is something about what does our is, what is our country going to look like fundamentally? How different is it going to be in 2040, 200 years after the signing of the treaty? What is it going to look like? I've heard one leader talk about it a lot. Nobody waits, is he? Māori Party. But what you want to hear is a lot more aspiration out of really positive political policy approaches to rebuilding foundations and stuff. Because I think what's happened in the last term, people are trying to pull back. Yeah. You know, you've got phrases like, let's take our country back and and the like. And and that's why I don't think you hear as much aspiration. And that's why probably there's a feeling on the ground of people feeling like, oh, this is... This and it's about the cost politics. of living today. It's not about yeah. the future, right? But that, that's a light bulb moment for me. That is a- a- absolutely it. You've just nailed. Nobody has come out and said... What I see is this. I see you're able to walk to the dairy at 11 o'clock at night and not be worried about who's walking behind you. Nobody has painted that picture. It's fragmented. It's, um, there's a lot of negativity because a lot of the policies are aimed at fixing things that are wrong with us. Mm-hmm. So you can't get away from that sort of negative feel to it. But nobody has painted, I, I think you're right, Julian, the bigger picture of what they would like this country to look like. Little bits of it. Yeah, little bits, compartmentalised, well, yeah. but not like the big... This is possibly that seen as a luxury in a cost of living crisis when you can't yeah, put food exactly. on the table, and I think that does crowd out other things. I'm not hope. saying it should be. You're still I, I agree. Give people but... hope in something to um, look forward to, and I mean that's obviously what Grant Robertson was trying to sell all this week with the books. And I know sure. you want to talk about the books at some well, point. But he said light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, ain't shining bright enough. No, my no. no yeah. but well, remember the well-being budgets. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, 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 many people will have forgotten them. But there was supposed to be a whole dramatic new way of of accounting for and 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 allocating resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it just feels like aspiration is destabilisation. That's that's what it feels like. If you go, no, there, people just need to get through the day. Yeah, yeah. That, that's you know, exactly right. Um, and but I tell you what, act on. Because I want to bring come into act sure. now, and because I'm sure David Seymour will say he's the one who's talking about, if not aspiration, real change, right? He's the one who's trying to push that boat through. Um, and look, there was an interview again. I'm, we're um, pillaging Q and A this week, but there was an interview that he um, gave to, to Jack Tame July last year, which is quite prescient um, in terms of the issues now. So let's just play this clip. National's modus operandi is to huff and puff and threaten to blow Labour's house down, but having campaigned from the right, they traditionally govern from the left. The ACT Party says that's just not good enough. If we believe that Labour and the Greens and New Zealand Versus policies were wrong, uh, we've got to have the courage to reverse them. And that's why I'm saying in the first 100 days, that's the litmus test, are you prepared to take some of this stuff on? Get rid of three waters, get rid of a Māori health authority. You should be prepared, for example, uh, to say that we are not going to have fair pay agreements. They'll be dead before their feet hit the ground. This is a guy who wants to go in full bore, whereas Chris Luxon is trying to paint a different picture and paint himself as more of a centrist. Will you govern from the centre? Uh, I consider myself very much a centrist, you know, and I'm a very much a pragmatist. I came to solve problems because I am sick and tired of us talking about stuff and not getting things done. But, but what, David Seymour, what David Seymour there is saying, first 100 days, 
we're going to go in hot. This is not just going to be a, um, a a small change government that we were talking about before. We think we're saying people only want a little bit of change here. He's saying, heck no, we want a first hundred days. We want yeah. a blitz, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was, as you said, what July last year. Yeah. So so more than a year ago, and then I think there was a big turning point at the beginning of this week, which is what Guyon is referencing, where he did an interview with Jane Patterson, and he floated this idea that he wouldn't go into a formal coalition with. Um, the National Party, and they would make National come cap in hand for every bit of expenditure and every policy for them to sign off and get over the line, right? Yeah. I think subsequent to that, he's probably got the frighteners on um, because people, it's it's a concept that people are utterly unfamiliar with. I mean, it even probably had us journalists scrambling to go, what, what would this actually work? What does it look like? What's happening? Is it constitutionally possible? <laughs> you know, so... And people were like, oh, that sounds like unstable government, right? Yes, So, which is not the strong and stable government. That, no, that no, you're and also, but and also if you're a business party, if you're a party of business, you bet. now what's the one thing we always get told? A business is like certainty. certainty. If you were going to invest in, in New Zealand yep. from offshore, would you want to invest in, in a country which might not make it past budget 2024? Because you might well, have your big plan chucked out the window by an incoming government. I mean, what he's proposing is the opposite of stability. And I wouldn't have, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a few business people have been on the line after that. Because, which is probably why he got the frontners on. Well, quite possibly. <laughs> Let's just on. have a listen, because it's interesting to hear him in his own words spell this out. But when it comes to supply, actually, there's a lot of people voting acts who want something a little bit different. They, they want to see it into the amount of government waste. They want to see less spending. And what we're saying is, well, back, you know, we give you confidence, but when it comes to supply, we want to negotiate each time to make sure that the people who voted for us who want less waste aren't being taken for granted. Look, I, can I just explain this, what he's talking about here, because this is, this is begging you back into the deep geek territory. Um, but uh, confidence and supply usually go together, like love and marriage, like a horse and carriage, as Frank Sinatra would <laughs> sing, right? Yep. And I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. So you have confidence in the um, you pass a, a motion in, in Parliament that gives you the confidence of the of the um, the House, uh, and then you have the supply part, which allows you to have the confidence to spend the money because you know that the money is coming. He's saying he would after the election say, fill your boots, Mr. Luxon, head on up to Government House, talk to the Governor General, say I can form a government, because this is an interesting fact I didn't realise before I spoke to Andrew Giddis about this. What the Governor General needs to hear in this situation, mm. yep, sorry, Professor Andrew Giddis, yep. um, uh, they, um, the Governor General needs to hear that that person has the confidence of the House. It's not actually like I can form a government or I, my party is pop, the most popular. It is the ability to go up and say. Um, I can come back to you with a list of names that I can swear in as a cabinet to run the country. So I have the confidence of the House. So what David Seymour is saying is Christopher Luxon can go up to the Governor-General, say I have that confidence, but I don't necessarily have the confidence to pass a budget next May because I've still got to negotiate this with ACT who are not yet happy, happy and satisfied. Um, and that's that's a really interesting situation because the Governor-General has never faced that before. And Jerry Matsuparai, when he was Governor General, said in a speech that he would that a Governor General would preferably have certainty for a whole term when this happens after an election, but only preferably. It's not required. So the Governor General, if David Seymour put his foot down on this um, approach, would 
almost certainly have to accept that and say, yep, go, off you go, form a government and figure out the budget next year. Look, look, I, I think it'll depend on what the ultimate result is on the election night. If they get to pretty much over 60 seats, they can form a coalition government between National and ACT, then I, I think he's going to take that all out the side and not worry about it. It's going to happen. The problem is if they don't get there and they need New Zealand first to get over the 60, that's where I think his head's gone, is going, well, hang on, I don't want to do any business with this dude. If he's going to be a part of any confidence and supply agreement, I might hold off. I don't think, my personal view is he's just he put that out there for people to think about it and not thought of the consequences, which is why he's withdrawn it or pulled, pulled back a bit from it. And the other interesting thing about it is when he talks like that, it's completely different to the way he talks to some media people, the likes of which, um, Lisa, you'll know in your interview yesterday on your show, where when he's calm and managed, he's talking in a certain way. When he's throwing in spitballing, he's got a completely different voice, and you heard it there, mm. completely different way of presenting himself. And yet yesterday he was... Well, you know, very calm and measured in his approach. And that says to me that he's just come up with something on the fly and it's probably bitten him a little bit and he's probably not going to entertain it. But Because the politics would be terrible. Oh, it would be atrocious. But then if New Zealand First makes it and they need New Zealand First to get over yeah. the 60 seats, that's why I think it's going to be really interesting. He could throw his toys. On the fly or calculated risk. It, it, that wasn't for the voters, in my mind. That was a warning. A yeah. warning to his potential friends in government, national. He has, and we've talked about this before, he keeps using this phrase about true sharing of power, right? And I think that was like, hey, well, you need us more than we potentially need you, even though we may be the smaller partner in this arrangement. And I think he's got um, his little campaign car, little pinky, in yep. reverse and screaming away from the scene. But he doesn't want to be seen as the little little partner, no, right? exactly. He doesn't want to be the Greens again. He doesn't want to be the Greens no, no, stuck in there, kind not. of fading through six but years and not really getting the runs on the board that he's, he wants. He's got this conundrum because on the current polls you've got National around the 40% and he's and his party is only around the 10%. And as you say, he really desperately wants what he calls big change. But you could argue people have bought a cake, it's National, and David Seymour's just that little spreading of the icing, icing on, on the, the top. top. <laughs> so you could argue that. So they actually want National as the bulk, the bulk. Well, that's what we're saying. That they want the a little, little bit. bit of change, but not too much. Yeah, but he used this phrase when I talked to him most recently. He said, I don't want to change from Chris to Christopher and wear a blue tie on Monday. So that is all about what he said more than a year ago. Yeah. He's harking back to that. He doesn't want same, same, but different different tie. But the interesting thing he mentioned about, mentions in the first 100 days are things that National's committed to anyway. So when you think about it, Three Waters, uh, you know, co-governance stuff, um, the Māori Health Authority, those things are going to happen in the 100 days. They're not yeah. bold because National supports them. National wants to do them as well. It's how much further he's going to go. So what more do you think he wants? Do we have an tax. idea about tax? tax. Yeah, that's right. He, he's got massive tax aspirations yeah. to go down to only two tax brackets. What is it? 75 and 28%, I think, are the two tax brackets. And that's going to be pricey. He's already said with the opening of the books um, earlier this week that he's getting his calculator back out because... Um, they might have to back off some of their aspirations yeah. because of yeah. the moolah well, situation. It was interesting what he said on that. We're still working on our alternative budget. We've got a responsibility to show how the budget can balance. Um, right now we've got a bit of work to do on that, as does everybody who's taking this seriously. The money, the money has run out. Grant Robertson's been on a spending binge for the last six years, borrowed $121 billion extra, and now there's nothing left and we're going to have to tighten up regardless of who is in charge, uh, it's going to be very, very tough 
And I don't think that Grant Robertson is being honest enough. I think he's just hoping, like Muldoon used to, that he can get away with it for another three years. Very, very tough, right? He's, he's signalling right. the cuts that he no, would like to and, bring in in government. Yes, and, and I put to him, you know, you could be the finance minister um, in just over a month. And for the first time, he said, yeah, that's very hypothetical. But he didn't say, I don't want that job <laughs> or I'm not talking about that. He talked about the fact that he would be working tightly and collegially, his words, with National. And that regardless of who the finance minister is, it's going to be a tough job um, balancing the books. And it's going to take hard and intense work between the two parties, he said. But he definitely has some things that he wants to achieve. Yeah. And... It's going to take some squeezing to, you know, meld the two wishes together. Well, he wants to be, he, the Act wants a Minister of, deregula- of, of, of Deregulation, right? Of going through decluttering. decluttering, going through all the ministries and just finding line by line it's where you can go. The Maria of politics. So that's the name, isn't it? The one who comes <laughs> into your house and gets rid of your stuff. <laughs> Which is the way you do that, right? I mean, this is, this is where it comes. So, can, again, can, um, can Luxon hold to the centre? Does he want to hold to the centre? Does he use ACT to push um, into to more cuts and more of that territory? Does he want Winston Peters on the side to be able to balance them off? Where do, we, where do you see that shape going? Yeah, I mean, one of the first things I'd say is that if he thinks he can withhold supply, that test would possibly come well before the 2024 budget because any any legislation on tax, for example, is considered supply, which inherently has confidence overtones. So if National were to come in and lower the tax thresholds, you'd need legislation to do that. That becomes a supply issue usually and a confidence issue as well. Yeah. So I just don't think that he's that he's thought that through constitutionally. So I think, I think he's overplayed his hand there. Uh, usually... The major parties' finance um, would ho- would hold. In other words, they would have the finance spokesperson, and it would be Nicola Willis, and you would have the bulk of of their um, financial strategy. If ACT is around the nine or ten that the polls are showing now, you would think that with charter schools, a ministry for deregulation, and a few other specific things, that they may be able to be sort of bought off with those. It also contains things a little more easily for ACT, so that they're not involved in more wide-ranging things that they can show to their voters, here are some specific things that we're, we're going to do. So that would be where the rational and the logic of a MMP coalition would be. It, it just depends how much of this is bluffing and huffing and puffing yeah. from David Seymour and how much he's actually prepared to blow things up. I think as a number of us have alluded to, Today, if Winston Peters is in the mix, then this is really, you know, the the pins being pulled out of the grenade and everyone's jumping out of the table yeah. stuff. Because uh, an ACT New Zealand First national arrangement is probably a fairly good recipe for um, us to do this all again <laughs> and uh, to, to go back to the country. Do, do you think that, I, that would happen? Well, I just can't see how... I just can't see how that would work. Um, and again, at that point, it becomes a game of chicken. Yeah. You know? And who's going to give way to who? Yeah. And, and he held together what, Act. And... Yeah, he did. These are, he, key, key did, different quite brilliantly. Person, and we've talked about this before. If I were Luxon right now, I'd be talking, I'd, I'd be swallowing um, a, a, a few dead rats or at least some kiore uh, and talking to the Māori Party um, and talking to the Greens about potential confidence and supply arrangements. I know that, that that's a bit far out for some, but I, I think that that sort of thing could could 
could pay dividends because David Seymour and Winston Peters, as we know from their personalities, are very volatile and very uh, belligerent politicians. And those personalities matter. Who's prepared to give way in a game of chicken? And you wouldn't you, you wouldn't necessarily want to be driving at 120k towards either of those individuals. Yeah, a part of look. I guess what we're saying is Winston's back. We well, yeah, are. I, I think that's that. You know, I mean, I've raised my own odds to, from fifty-fifty to something like eighty-twenty. I think uh, it might have been Lisa who said before. If you see Peters at five percent, you know, a few weeks out, then he's probably going to be back. I, I think he probably will be back in Parliament on those yeah. numbers. The question in this election now, the question is, will act and national need New Zealand first. Mm. Yeah, he's back even if the numbers don't put him over the line. He's back in people's minds because they're considering considering the the possibilities and prospects. And that's the other thing that may work against Seymour's tactic here. If he's talking about blowing things up and being volatile and, oh, we want real neoliberal change, but uh, uh, some voters who do want a conservative Luxon-led government are going to go, oh, well, Winston Peters, he was a pretty good handbrake on Jacinda Ardern. It's the handbrake all over. It's the handbrake again. I think Winston's looking at this and actually sort of chuckling away in that. uh, But that is why I think David Seymour brought his inside voice to the interview (laughs) last night. Yeah, you know, no. that we did with him. He's he's changed his tone. Agreed. Um, we're talking about Winston. So before we go, um, he has got a, his he's got his voice back, and he's been using a bit of an outside voice, hasn't he, in terms of oh. um, saying that Māori are oh, not the indigenous one. people. <laughs> yeah, Māori are not. Then a new video. People. I was waiting for Julian to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We hadn't set up and, a dance and, and TikTok there, or anything. There was some TikTok going to be rolled out. Okay, no, no, no. About this is that other thing. No, the other thing. Um, the indigeneity question, um, and whether Māori are indigenous to New Zealand or. Cook Islands, or in fact China. Uncle, just stop it. It's ridiculous. Um, he's confused point of origin with indigeneity. And he uses people like um, legends of Māori and pantheons, Sir Peter Buck Tarangihiroa and Apedanangata, uh, the father of Māori politics, father of Māori during the 1900s, as, as people who support his argument in this indigenous... And who he sees as his... He sees Nutter's himself as hero. the direct heir of these N- people, N- right? Nutter's yeah. his hero. I mean, Nutter was a conservative, right? Yeah. Um, and he uses them, yeah, as, as people who support his arguments. That is not what they did. It is not what their academic research focused on at all, in actual fact. What they focused on, particularly Sir Peter Buck, Māori anthropologist, was on the point of origin and our connections to the Pacific. What he probably talks about is people like Kupe and, you know, uh, Hoturoa and Toy and all these people who navigated their way to Aotearoa from the islands. He's right, they're not Māori. They were Pacific Islanders. But it is their descendants who became and made us Māori who then became the indigenous population of Aotearoa in New Zealand. He does this a lot, Think and, and you've got to congratulate him because it works. And that's the part that kills me about this, is people hear arguments that he makes about Māori not being indigenous to Aotearoa, and it is a stupid, facile, ridiculous argument. It has no academic support to it at all, but unfortunately people buy it. It goes and it actually falls into that place of, um, you know, the white Celts who were here before, you know, before Māori, about yeah. the way um, Māori were, Māori were conquered by Māori, therefore um, Pākehā can conquer Māori. It plays into that, and that's the bit that I find really disingenuous and quite awful about it, is that he knows the stuff right. He's not ignorant to it. And he is, he is prepared to actually appeal to the voters who somehow want to say, 
oh, if Māori aren't Indigenous, then somehow the treaty is gone, 180 years of legal precedent is gone, and we can all just be the same, and we don't have to deal with grievance and the hard conversations well, that, that we have Well, presumably those people won't need and to worry nonsense. about the United Nations Declaration That's on the right. Rights of Indigenous Peoples then. That's right. Because it will have no bearing <laughs> under that logic. Yeah, it's sad, to be honest with you. When and you hear, you know, I mean, Shane Jones... Uh, is an expert on this kind of stuff. Yeah. His Māori genealogy is is unsurpassed, actually, uh, for people in the North or others as well who are experts like Shane, but he's up there. Him and supporting this-, this stuff actually is is a disaster um, for students, <laughs> for learners, for amateur historians, for amateur genealogists, and particularly for people from the North to hear some of their own saying this crap yeah. really hurts. And speak to Hawaii because uh, he... The way Winston puts it is that Māori are indigenous to Hawaii as if it's a place, mm. as opposed to an idea, as a, as in the place you were before. Hawaii was the place, as you say, the point of origin, the place you were before. It's not like, yeah, you know, New York or somewhere, right? Yeah, an old man, Henare Kingi, who was a broadcaster, guy I might remember him from his parliamentary press gallery days. He was a broadcaster at the Māori radio station in Wellington, to Pukotika. He described it as this, Hawa means gap and Iki means the field gap. And he says it's our point of origin, but it's also the place in which traditionally our spirits return to. And whether you believe that to be Rotonga, as Winston says, and all that kind of stuff, that does not negate the point of indigeneity in Aotearoa New Zealand. It is simply a place of origin and a place where our spirits return to mm-hmm. uh, and, and rest. And that's what the translation of the name uh, means. But, you know, this is finely tuned politics from Winston appealing to a voter base who would support him in this stuff. It's just unfortunate that in 2023 we were regurgitating actually things that are, again, the academic research of greats like Sir Peter Buck and Sir Apatana it's sad. It it, it creates an interesting dilemma as well, I think, Mm. for coverage of uh, a political campaign. I mean, how much airtime do you give to it? Mm. How much airtime do you give to that? Mm. How much airtime do you give to the insults that were levelled at um, Rawiri Waititi? Um, And it was interesting that um, Rawiri himself, obviously when asked to respond, chose not to, to say that he was not giving oxygen Mm. to that. Mm. The amazing thing to me uh, is that Winston Peters can say all this about Indigenous people in New Zealand and then go overseas as a foreign minister. And and, and every party seems to grant him that, that, that opportunity. Um, and so he can he can weirdly oscillate between extremely polarising um, sort of dog whistle politics, and then be the um, you know don the double breasted pinstripe and be the, the the statesman. And we seem to accept that in New Zealand. You know, it's us too. We have a really weird relationship with New Zealand First and Winston Peters, mm-hmm. and and collectively we're all in that because um, how many times has he done this on any issue you'd like to name? It could be immigration, it could be any other host of number of issues, and yet here we are nearly 40 years after he first came to Parliament, with the very real prospect that we've talked about today, that he could um, help decide who the government is. Yeah, you mentioned Love and Marriage, the Frank Sinatra song, which mm. of course was the title song for Married with Children with yes. the Bundy family. That's pretty much what we're going to get Peggy. if he makes it back in and they have to negotiate. <laughs> Peg and Al Bundy. Yep. Alright, that is all we've got time for this week. Uh, next week the, we, we'll be into debates, which we started to talk about this week, so um, we'll be looking forward to talking about those. Thanks for your time. It's been great to have your company. We'll, we'll talk to you again next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.